Hey everybody, welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a Photog adventure of your own. It's episode 48 and welcome back everybody to the Photog Adventures podcast. Hey, Brendan. Hey, how's it going? We are hanging out. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot breathe out here. We've been outside. We've gone up and guarding Guardians Pass. Guardians. Guardians of the Galaxy Pass. Pass. <laughs> we have the Guardsman's Pass. And we hope to get a nice, awesome rising moon. But with the smoke that's going on, we're not even sure if it was visible on the horizon. Because we also went down to Blood's Lake and got a shot from there to see if we can see the moon coming up. But it was in about 845 that the moon would be high enough for that location. Yeah. And you had to be off to the left of the lake a little bit more than where we were standing. Yeah, and the tree line was... It came. It comes up pretty steep on the right, on both sides actually. Um, facing east, the tree line kind of dips down and rises pretty quickly on both sides. And to be over the tree line from where we were, it wasn't gonna be until like ten o'clock. So yeah. So we were up there. We were out in the smoke. It is such a horror right now. This smoke. Usually when I see wildfire smoke and it sucks, I'm always kind of sad and just frustrated by it. Mm. This time I am devastated by it. Just thinking that a lot of this that we're getting is from that terrifying, horrible, stupid Columbia River Gorge fire. That's so ridiculous. How that even happens is just crazy. I mean, it is It is hopefully not as bad as everyone's making it out to be where they're saying that all these waterfall, beautiful locations are just gone. Now, they might be right that they're gone and burned, but 100-year growth of moss, is it that way? I mean, they say so, so I believe them, but what if? What if? What if it could grow back within 20 20 years that'd be yeah i mean it's fantastic. possible but you can have you can have moss growing on dead trees and really small trees growing around it you know which is very ugly compared to what it used to be <sighs> yeah because we saw that in crater lake i mean there's literally half of the forest was dead well the other half was big trees oh, and it just it was fires. so weird looking and it was um really not attractive you know and there's no way that they're going to go in there and just clear out all the dead dead trees and allow for new growth it's going to be something that new growth is going to grow around yeah i mean don't you think that would make sense as a logging community to like kill i mean they don't even they're already dead so just harvest them they're not going to be harvested for anything other than more firewood i guess because i I don't think there's any structure that's capable of being used to build anything on a scale of that that you're talking about where they could use it as a logging community yeah i don't know how i don't know how they approach that it's just interesting to see. Yeah. Because they have such a need for paper and wood products, but do we have enough wood? I mean, when something like happens like this, it makes, you think it would make sense. Anything to use you it, can but... do with what's left that's not burned fully. Right. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't that make sense? Like, possible. But possible. Of course, someone's going to throw up their arms and protest about that, I'm sure. So, <laughs> oh, it's devastating. So, we're sitting here <sighs> looking out over the Salt Lake Valley. We are in the vehicle. You can't tell probably that we're inside a car it's probably not that bad of a sound it's probably no. still pretty good quality for a podcast sounds good in my ears me too and so i'm thinking you guys aren't recognizing that we're not in the studio right now we're sitting here in salt lake valley looking out 
over the valley from this vantage point that we have after coming down from Guardsman Pass and just loving the opportunity to do a podcast. We're sitting the most comfortable we've ever sat in a podcast situation, I think. Yeah, the last time we were sat in a car to do a podcast was with Thomas Heaton. That's true. And we hooked up our arms of the steering wheel and all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. And... <sighs> it's not as comfortable. And we had no. the nervousness of getting all the technology to work for Thomas Heaton, so that <sighs> affected our mood and our relaxed feeling. So we went on a pretty, I mean, geez, I'm tired from hiking because it's just crazy. It's so steep going up that one part at the beginning. And then we nixed that idea, and then, uh, so I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I was to the point of almost fainting because I was getting lightheaded. I was <laughs> running up that hill so fast at the beginning, and then it became so steep. I'm just not used to that. And I and didn't go up at all. I started, but I realized I haven't had lunch or dinner today, and I was up till 4 a.m. last night. Just right. got the new computer that came in. Hooray! And I was playing around with that, getting all the installations on there, getting files from our Photog Adventure library all on there up until 4 a.m. and working on a podcast edit. And so, yeah, I 4 a.m. was up at that late, didn't get much sleep, and no lunch and no dinner. I figured... I'm nuts for going up here. I'm not going to do Yeah, that. no, you were smart. You were smart not to do that. So. <laughs> so, guys, welcome to the 48th episode. We're really excited as we inch closer to that 50th episode, that yeah. nice half-century mark that makes us feel really proud. We've gotten this far. There's a lot of podcasts out there that we've looked up and noticed that, okay, they stopped doing a podcast, and they got to 30 and 40, so we're past them. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool to think that we've been able to do that long. We keep this up and hit that 100 mark about this time next year. Yeah. And those yeah. of you who haven't heard the other podcasts or haven't heard enough of it yet, we are hitting our year mark, September 8th. Right now it's September 6th today, right? Yeah. yeah. So we have two more days till September 8th. Friday we're going to do a live podcast on Facebook and YouTube, both from our phone devices. So my phone will be on YouTube, his phone will be on Facebook, and we're going to give you guys a live podcast from there celebrating the year mark, talking about the behind the scenes. It might not be for everyone that episode, talking behind the scene numbers about YouTube channel stuff and trying to grow from here from scratch, having a zero social presence and growing from there and what it's like after a year, just kind of for a celebration of what we've done for a year. And it's more probably just for Brandon and I, but we're hoping that you guys can get something out of it and tell them the stories of what we have learned and what we have found and what we're going to change going forward, which is only going to be good news for you guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just incredible to think that in a year, a year ago, what was my mind? What was I thinking? What was what was the kind of the? What was I thinking? What was I thinking when I started <laughs> this? Um, no, what was I thinking as far as my photography and how I approached things and the and the 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 skill level I guess I was at. I mean, my processing was pretty much next to nothing. You think so? Huh? I back almost then I didn't think about it that way. I almost never processed. I mean, I did a little bit of processing because I was using, um, still using Aperture until um, the beginning of last year. So I was just barely new in Lightroom. I didn't really touch much of the, you know, the features and stuff, and I was really unfamiliar with it still a year ago. And so to think just with that processing alone, I uh, had tremendous growth, I think, um, in the last year. Yeah, it's really going to be fun to go through that and list off those things that we've learned. And for those of you who've been around, who've been around with us this whole time, you're going to be thinking too, I mean, we've been going on this adventure together, growing and learning in photography, sharing our successes, sharing our, sharing our failures, as we always mm -hmm. like to say in our opener. And it's just, 
I think we've all come a long way and it's been fun sharing the adventure together. And those of you who keep communicating with us through other social media parts, especially the Facebook group, I feel like I know you where you're at. And mm-hmm. I love the community. I'm loving it. So yeah. those are the things we're excited for in the next couple podcasts. Today, we're going to talk about Oregon trip stuff that we haven't ever told the stories about and tell some other things like our 14 millimeter Sigma experience that we have with the lensprotogo.com situation where we had those lenses to test them out. So let's get going with the podcast. Um, you mentioned going to Guardsman Pass in the full moon, and so I want to yeah. talk about that at the very beginning and bring in Daniel Lindhart. He was out trying to get a full moon shot tonight, so we're going to give him a call, and we're going to bring him into the podcast for a short segment about Guardsman Pass and just a challenge of doing a full moon. Not so much that the photography is hard, but how making sure you're in a cool spot, making sure you're in the full right location. He sent us a text while we were hiking back and huffing and puffing back up that hill from Bloods Lake. And he sent us a text, and we finally had a chance to stop and look at it. And it says, and I blew it. And so I'm curious to find out how things went. We'll plug into him right now, and we'll give him a call. Hey, Daniel Lindhart, you are live on the Photog Adventures podcast for your, I don't know, fourth time. <laughs> I think you've been on this thing many times, <laughs> which we love having you. So th- welcome, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me. You guys on the Facebook group, you know Dan, you've seen his pictures, you've seen his stuff. We just barely did an August Reflections gallery where we had everyone share shots that they did of an August Reflection. And I yeah, have yeah. one of the Milky Way I did out with Brent Huntley. I don't know if Brent shared his, but I was hoping to add mine to that gallery. Can I still add it, Dan, or is it pretty much after September 1st you can't? No, no, go ahead and add to it. We can uh, start another one now that September's started i don't know who's gonna take that one on i think this rob time. had an idea for september but josh dean brent if any of you guys had an idea for september throw it up there let's do it yeah i'm, I'm down so dan tonight we went to garsman pass for our full moon let's hear your story because i just told everyone that you sent us a text <laughs> that said and i blew it so how did you blow it what do you mean <laughs> so i hadn't i had an idea in mind of of what i wanted to get i i kind of shot the shot a bit of a time lapse of the moon last night but i was a little bit late getting out there um where's there where were you trying to get the shot from just just outside my house okay um up in the avenues in salt lake no no just in (laughs) west valley (laughs) so you live in west valley which is on the west side of the freeway here in utah so you're looking back over salt lake valley as you uh capture the shot yep yep exactly okay so my brother had called me last night told me to go out and hurry and look at the moon and i saw it and uh quickly grabbed the camera but by that point it was it was getting above the mountains so i thought well maybe tomorrow i'll go out and see if i can capture it coming up above the the mountains or or rising above the mountains anyways. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Jeff Harmon and, shot that he got with the supermoon. Really neat looking purpley kind of fade to blue dark sky with that uh, awesome color cast of purple and violet over the mountains and the moon itself. Kind of like one of those shots where you're zoomed in on it or more of a wide angle shot. Zoomed in on it, but I was, I was hoping more for a time lapse, uh, you know, as the moon is, is peaking up above oh, the mountains yeah, so i got yeah. the nice crisp line of the mountain across the moon is what i was hoping for yeah so i mean so, your time lapse what what could have gone <laughs> wrong other than you didn't see the moon at all <laughs> yeah, well that's that's about it yeah oh. i uh i'd been using uh 
using photo pills to try and figure out exactly where it's going (laughs) to, yeah, (laughs) try and figure out exactly where it's going to pop up. And Mm -hmm. it kept telling me that it was going to come in this gap between these two trees. Are we talking uh, so tight at 600 millimeter tight? uh, No, I was just using my 70 to 300. Okay. So it was, it was still a little bit wider. Um, but, um, I kept watching, kept watching in that same spot. I kept double checking and I, I just couldn't see the moon. I couldn't see where it was going to come up, you know, no glow above the mountains because of how much smoke there is in the valley. Right, right. And I kept thinking, well, I'll, I'll just see a little sliver of it poking up and can hurry and move into, into position if I need to. But, uh, couldn't see anything and then all of a sudden i see this little red speck through a big pine tree yeah and i i wandered to the other side of the roof and there's the moon it's already up above the mountains other oh. side other side of the roof you weren't even looking <laughs> close <laughs> no no i was i was looking uh you know i had a probably a oh i, I had to walk another 10 10 feet to the 10 feet to the left and it was it was coming up to the right of where I was thinking it was going to be coming up and so you uh, thought it was between these two trees but really it was entirely to the right of that whole scene exactly exactly so when you uh, saw it there was it coming out peeking over the mountain at that point or are we talking it might have been there where you thought it was but behind smoke until it got above the smoke and now it was off to the right no no i think it just came up behind that tree entirely it Mm. was it was already Uh, completely above the mountains i i completely missed the the line that i was hoping to to catch i let out a let out a couple uh, choice words and grab my stuff and climb down off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> you uttered an oath, as they say in the Hardy Boy books. <laughs> exactly. Oh, exactly. man. And then you texted so. us for a little bit of a self-help group, a little commiseration. <laughs> and I blew it. <laughs> and I blew it, yeah. Yeah, I completely botched it. <laughs> We didn't blow it. Mm. Brendan, tell how yours went, but we didn't blow it. I just don't think we had the opportunity. We were hoping to get the Milky Way in a certain spot where the at Bloods Lake the, the tree line comes down and meets at a point, and uh, the moon just wasn't in the right position for, for today. But what was awesome is that we could pull the planner out and the pill uh, planner pill and actually find out what was the best date for that. And it was kind of cool because being there – is a lot better. It's a lot easier to plan your stuff when you're there versus not being there. Because we tried looking at it last night and figuring out where we want to be tonight, but it just wasn't going to work out. So, And while right. what we saw last night was accurate, you think maybe when we're there it'll be a little different. Mm-hmm. We did confirm what we found out last night, but we were also able to say, okay, that green, this green tree, and that green tree, those little colored blobs on the satellite image – those are those trees, and mm-hmm. we want it between there. And there's this part of the app, the planner app, the planner pill part of the app, where when we talked to Rafael Pons, we kind of learned how to use this. And I remember Andrew Block even saying, King, let me know when you have that video because I don't understand exactly how you're 
what you're talking about and how right, this works. Right. And I gathered what it meant there. We had a chance to put it into practice today. And if you go to the planner app just shortly, I'm talking one minute shortly, but I'm wasting my time now. It is the little magnifying glass in the bottom left where it says find. And you think it's going to be something like, I want to go to the Knolls. I want to type in Knolls. That's right, type find. Well, you hit find, then you got all these options for sun at azimuth, sun at azimuth and elevation, mm-hmm. moon at azimuth, moon at azimuth and elevation. Well, basically, what you're doing is you're going to choose an option for you're standing looking straight out over a valley and you want to find out how far left or right you're going. That's an azimuth. And I'm going to go out that left. And so my azimuth is 69. 48, let's say 48 degrees azimuth. You use that part and say, from here in this point, at 48 degrees azimuth, looking this direction, when can I see the moon? Or when can I see the sun? And once you've chosen that pin to say, here's the azimuth, there's the location I'm looking, what's the option for this? You have a custom date range, you have a date range for every time from now until the next two days, one day, three days, one week, one year, two years. And so you Even can look, five years, I think it's said. Yeah, I think so. So you can actually go and say, there's where I want to stand. Here's where I want to look. When will the moon be right there? And you click the find button, that magnifying glass again, which is totally, I know Raphael Pons, you have an awesome app, but that thing is so dang confusing. You would never intuitively know to hit that magnifying glass again on your own. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. The user experience is lost. But you hit that again, and now it lists off everything within the custom date range you set, whether it's five years or two days, it'll tell you what days it'll happen. So now we know, what, November 5th or November 7th or something like that? Yeah. That date will be when we have a full moon right there. It shows you when the moon's in that position. It shows you a graphic of what the phase of the moon will be. So if you only want a full moon situation, you'll see it right there. And it colors them in a way that says this is a perigee moon, like a super moon. And here's an apogee moon when it's further away. And so that's a very powerful part of the app that's just completely unused by me at this point. Yeah. 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 yeah I've never used that myself. That's that's a lot of information there. Yeah. 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 It was in one cool minute. To figure that out tonight too. <laughs> yeah. So I will make a video. I promised Andrew Block back in, I don't know, was it June we talked to Raphael that I would create this? I think it was even May. And so I got a new computer, guys. I'm creating that video. (laughs) And so we'll be announcing some stuff on September 8th when we do our year mark video. So we will tell you more about it. And we'll tell you more about it. We'll tell you more about it. And we can't wait to give you some word about stuff that we're going to do for next year. So quickly, Brendan, was there anything else about... I jumped in there with all this other stuff from yeah, that yeah. night. Is there anything else you were saying about capturing the full moon tonight, or we should let Dan go? Yeah, I mean, we we, we tried the same thing, and we're, we're glad Dan tried something, but it, we kind of both kind of ended up with not much of anything there, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. I I don't know if I was misusing the uh, the augmented yes. reality portion of it or yes, you or were. if my phone was just out of whack. <laughs> Thanks, well, sometimes, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My vote of confidence for you, Dan. Sorry, man. You know, and sometimes, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I noticed it too. Like it would glitch back and forth to being what what yeah. was actual east and north. And so it was like, is it supposed to be here? Then it would jump back and be, oh no, it's going to rise over here. So then it's hard to tell because sometimes I think the phone messes up the software a little bit. And so the calibration is yeah. off a little bit. And so it's hard to know exactly where. But I mean, we had it working pretty good at the salt flats earlier this year. And um, Aaron was able to line it up perfectly. You know, and user success. Yeah, very user success on that one. (laughs) So what I do in those situations, the only thing I do right now is I go flat and then I fling it up with some force just because it tells my phone's gyroscope gyroscope and all of the, what's the other term they have for that 
motion sensing angle part of your there's a gyroscope yeah, that recognizes gyroscope. yeah but there's also another thing with the motion sensing yeah i think there's a motion sensing uh, accelerometer accelerometer <laughs> that's yeah. what i'm looking for so i flip it up so the gyroscope and the accelerometer kind of recognize here was a flat here i'm standing up and i'm pointing a certain direction and it sometimes helps it as you hold it there for a minute i mean not a whole minute but you hold it for a few seconds it'll just all of a sudden shift brendan saw that happen tonight mm -hmm. it shifts but then it's still kind of Sometimes it still loses its tack. It's, it's, it starts looking more left and right. And so I'm going to talk to Rafael here. We're going to hang out with him for this next week. In a, in a couple of weeks, we're hanging out with him, seeing him a lot at Joshua Snow's Photo Pills Workshop and our own Photo Pills Workshop. And I'm just going to find out from him, what are all your tricks, man, to make sure that this comes back? Because you can't always do mm -hmm. a visual calibration. In fact, every time I've wanted to do one, I couldn't do it because I was wondering, where's the moon going to be? The sun's already gone down. When's the Milky right, Way going to look good, right. but the moon's not visible to match up with it? So I can't do a visual calibration most of the times in my situation. Yeah, it's almost like you got to do it beforehand with the sun. But then does it get lost? I mean, huh? Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. I, I figured thought, that out, I thought guess. about trying that as well, but but didn't work i didn't have any uh anything to reference this time right <laughs> maybe right. i'll recommend so. maybe i'll recommend it to rafael that we get some planets in there as an option visual calibrate where the planet is because you can recognize jupiter and saturn at certain parts of the early evening mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure that'd be nice cool well, Anyways. awesome, Dan. Thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate you getting on the line with us. Yeah, yeah, not a problem. Thanks for giving me a shout. Sweet, man. Okay, thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Go Take back care. to sleep now since you were not <laughs> sleeping before. <laughs> Just... I was not sleeping. <laughs> so it was a fun night to go out for the sunset and the moon. We, If you guys saw our Facebook Live video, you saw the area that we were at, and I think that was my favorite part of it. Yeah. Just right there. Oh, yeah. That was something worth it. Otherwise... Yeah, it was kind of fun experience, just normal kind of photography, landscape, bust. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is the place that we stopped was right off, the, right off the side of the road. Literally, we were standing in the road to get pictures. Yeah. And um, it's actually really cool. It's a cool drive. A lot of times, the best shot you're going to get is on the des is on the pathway to your destination. So don't always think about just getting there and focusing on getting there. Sometimes be open. Be open for other opp opportunities true, and options. True, true. Yeah. So this podcast is an opportunity finally for me to learn what on earth the nickname is that um, that Rob that Ryan gave me. Yeah, DG. DG. He gave it to me after we talked about teasing Brendan for having his nickname of Hamster Bladder. And then I got lost out there and I was leading these, well, not really leading these guys, but I was in front of them thinking that they were going to follow me until I ended up kind of doing a complete circle around and ending up behind them. Oh, Meanwhile, I was going the right way. Such a failure leading, on my part. Leading Jeff to the actual parking lot. I just got so excited. I'm like, it's almost there. It's almost there. Go faster. Go and faster. And he kept going more and more to the left and then circling back around. That was kind of funny. Every time I went around a bush, I never fully went around it. I had to kind of go around it, you know, maybe about three quarters of the way. And then I'd go to the next bush and go three quarters of the way around that one. And then around the next one. And so my straight line was never straight. I forgot to check my stars. So yeah, so... so the nickname's GD, actually, not DG. It's DGD. Oh, I thought it was DG for some reason, like Don Quixote, but it's not. No, it's, it's GD. George Donner. From the Donner infamous party? Donner Party. <laughs> oh my gosh, I never would have gotten that. No, you would have never guessed that. I don't it's know so anyone's random. individual name in the Donner Party. The, the Donner Party. Yeah, I, I guess, guess, I guess yeah. George Donner was the leader. 
and, <laughs> and he's the one that got, got lost. Yeah, he's the one that got lost, and they end up, you know, freezing <laughs> half to death and eating each other and crazy crap like that. So, okay, that's a pretty bad nickname to have. He did but, say uh, that you learn about this in history in just elementary or junior high. Yeah, so yeah. I thought. I should know this, but because he did GD and not the DP, I didn't think Donner party nothing. George Donner. Yeah. So the one that gets <laughs> the one that gets some lost George Donner and forces them to jump into cannibalism to survive. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Did George Donner get eaten first, or was he one of the eaters? I don't know, I don't know that much about it. I just I remember the stories and learning about it in school, but. Is this yeah. nickname at least showing that I'm an alpha male who leads a group of people and then eats them if I need to? No, you just get lost. <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> Die in the wilderness. <laughs> so GD <laughs> is my nickname, George Donner. Thanks, Rob Ryan. It's creative, Rob. Good job. <laughs> it is really good. And I didn't find out for two months. I would months. never have figured that out. He's been thinking about it for two months now. I never clue. occurred to me. I probably saw the Donner Party when I would Google search famously lost people. But the <laughs> Donner Party, DP, it never, it never occurred yeah. to me to look, hey, what else do they? What else are their names? Are their first names maybe a G name? So, no, I never had it. Yeah. So we talked about Crater Lake and Bandon, and we went out to Oregon. So we wanted to talk about some more of the things that happened on this trip, starting with heading out there and the incredible, incredible sunset on the way that we just had to watch. Oh, we yeah, because we were driving out there, uh, we were driving towards the sun, heading straight west as the sun was setting. But it seemed like it was an eternal sunset. I mean, it was like, it felt like it was going on for hours. Now, people have said, you're driving towards it, of course, but we stopped. We weren't driving still... at 500 miles an hour, though. You know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wish we were, but. And the other unique part about that night, you remember? Do you remember? It was June 21st. Yeah. It was the longest night of the year or the longest day of the year. Right. And so one thing that we don't know is accurate, you guys tell us. But we're thinking, okay, so if it's the longest day of the year, that means the the, the amount of time that the sun transitions to sunset is always the same. It's not like it, the earth is rotating at different speeds at that time. But is there some, by some virtue of it being the longest daylight period, and then that transition into night, is it just sort of a... The angle, the tilt that we're facing in this rotation period, is it just a longer transition to darkness? Because it seemed like it that sunset was. held. I mean, it was sunset for like an entire hour. And the thing that I noticed before that was that two days before my family went out to get some ice cream. At, it was around sunset time. And I remember looking back and thinking... We've been here for over 20 minutes, and the sunset is still just as bright. It's still going orange. It's still going, yeah. And I'm just like, it's still, like, I'm looking around, I'm like, how is it still going? <laughs> you know, and that was two days before we left, and then, so it didn't surprise me that it went for, I mean, it was clearly an hour. I mean, it was like sunset colors for a whole entire hour in the sky. And we are just, uh, just, uh, I don't even know how to. And we are just totally surprised. Yeah. When we went to dinner before we took off on our trip, we had about a 14, 17-hour drive ahead of us, and we were driving through the night. So there was no rush that we felt other than to get to a certain point in Oregon where we had internet signal so that we can talk to Thomas Heaton. And so we think, we're think we thinking, okay, uh, that sunset's going to start, but let's just eat our food because this place is closing soon, and let's just get some food and go. And we also saw the clouds, and I predicted 
foolishly, like that's not going to really blow up, man. I mean, look at the clouds. It's blocking the sun. I can't see where the horizon is, but I don't know. It might never even peak out. Right, right. That was so wrong. Yeah, because we saw these clouds that weren't lit up before, and then like 20 minutes later, they just completely blew up. The angels of heaven were singing over there out in the salt flats, and it was just incredible. We're talking like it opened up, started lighting it up as we were driving towards the freeway, when we got on the freeway, and then as we got off that part of the freeway and entered I-80, another freeway, the east-to-west freeway, it still was orange. Mm Mm-hmm. We were astounded and crying and happy and couldn't believe that we didn't have a good picture of it. I kept trying with Brendan's phone. It didn't quite pull off the shot. And it just yeah. made us think, okay, next equinox, you know, next, next not equinox. It's the next um, summer solstice. Summer solstice, yeah. When it has that longest day period and shortest night, is there something about that transition to night where you get a longer golden hour, a longer sunset period? And it just kind of gotta be. It's gotta be because it totally. I mean, I totally felt it. I mean, and we were looking at the time the whole time, as we were tracking this, and sure enough, it was over an hour that it was going. And so we're not sure. We can't wait to find out. We're gonna test it. So we get to the salt flats finally, where the Bonneville salt flats are, and I'm like, hey, let's pull over. Let's check it out because now it's dark. Now it's astronomical twilight is over, and I wanted to see how the Milky Way would look out there and if it had dried up. We hadn't taken a Milky Way shot at the at the salt flats area proper yet at this point. Yeah, we'd been out there and scouted it and done some the moon the moon rising yep. with the water reflecting. That was amazing. It really was. But we'd never actually been out to the actual salt flats. We'd been near it, but not to the actual salt flats. Not during a time that the moon wouldn't be in the way and right. a time when the clouds were okay. And so this was an opportunity. So we get out. Do you remember the craziness of oh the salt flats? Gosh. It was like 30 mile an hour winds <laughs> blowing on us. Brendan had to help me hold my tripod. It was that bad. I was like, okay, I'm working on my camera. Can you stabilize this for me? Yeah, and it was constant. I mean, it was just like this giant blower just blowing at us. (laughs) A warm blow from the desert. It was awesome. So we walk out for the first time too when it wasn't flooded right there and walked out to that part where we finally could stand and that wind was just whipping salty flakes and grains of sand in our face. And I'm trying to get a panorama shot. And it turned out pretty well for just a half attempt at getting a Milky Way shot. Yeah. And what's interesting is it kicked a lot of dust up. And so um, even though it was relatively flat and there's not a whole lot of dust out there, it still was blowing so hard that anything that was going to be moved was moving. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, but I want I want to know how the picture turned out with the freeway because normally on a on a on a calm night with very low um, particulate particulates in the air, you can see the freeway traffic really well because it's super flat. Yeah, you just get so those car flat. trails. But were the car trails like muted? Were they like actually? Do you, do you remember that? Did in that they picture? glow? They they ended up glowing more. It's almost like they almost had like a, a fuzzy outline to every like light. more light pollution kind of in the yeah, bottom. Yeah, it part stretched of the up more, but it didn't kill it too much. Wendover's light, man, that oh, was disappointing. Yeah. But luckily at this time, I'd been back three or four times since, and Wendover gets in the way incredibly of the Milky Way core that late in the year. And yeah, so in yeah. June, it was still a fantastic time when the core was further away. I fully recommend. And our workshop will be in the earlier part of the year next year where we have all that Milky Way core away from the light pollution of Wendover. Mm -hmm. And not only that, a full arch that's easy to capture. And so 
Yes, the shot turned out well. I didn't do any light painting. There wasn't any moon, but it's just the lights from everything in the distance still was warming up the sand, warming up the oh, terrain. Yeah. And you get this incredible blue-violet night. Oh. You get a blue-violet night. All the particulates in the air, they did affect it, and they do have – it's not noise, but it it just has a haze. Yeah, and so yeah. I haven't fully processed the image, but I've seen the images, and they just have sort of a very interesting texture compared to everything else that I've captured. So I'm excited to get that fully created and look at the stitch and see how it goes. I've just had no time to process anything. I barely processed anything from Crater Lake and Bandon as of now. So right, yeah, right. I haven't had a chance to really give it my best, but mm, it's it's an interesting color cast that happens out there with the Wendover lights just somehow reaching over into that sandy area and having sort of a purple-blue atmosphere because of the reflection yeah. of the salt yeah. grains it's an interesting spot it was and uh the the best part about that is the big be- that was the beginning of the trip and as soon as we took off to leave the salt flats to get on the freeway we got a check engine light yeah after you were trying to accelerate to enter the freeway again and you had no gusto it was just nothing it was and then engine light and then we're like oh what was that <sighs> and so we so pulled began over the trip <laughs> we pulled over, we stopped the car, turned it off, let it sit for a minute, turned it back on, proceeded to go, hoping and praying that we would make it to Oregon safe and back. And so... Most of that t- ended up being true. Yeah. So the car had some issues. It still has issues. They probably won't be repaired until later this year or even next year. So we'll see. So we ended up going in Oregon at Coos Bay and had someone check it with their OBD2 reader and it said it was something to do with the certain part of your engine that was harmless. Camshaft and camshaft position sensor, I think it was, yeah. It was just the sensor was out of it's whack. The sensor not was out that of the whack. camshaft had any problems, right? But what, what, what it actually was that the engine oil was extremely low and that something broke because there was enough oil in the engine. And so that's my bad, basically, for not checking the oil before we left on the trip. I checked everything else. It was unbelievable. And zero sensors. And this never, vehicle completely betrayed us. Yeah, I would have never guessed the oil was low, ever. Not even a stitch of the oil's low warning. Nothing. Yeah. In fact, you had readouts that were telling you that the oil was higher than 70% or something good. No, and it's, it's the computer says there's oil life that actually you know, fabricates some number. Lifetime of this oil. Yeah, and it said 40% before we started the trip. So I thought, "Eh, you know, I'll change the oil when I get back because, you know, I got 40% left, so. And you might as well change it after you burn through a ton of it and it was at no risk, at least we thought. Yeah. So Brennan takes a nap. I get in the car and I get to be the guy who's like, (laughs) you're car's starting to sound weird, man. I pulled over on the road and it never started again from that point. And that was on the way back. Yep, on the way back. You had just about yeah. hit the Idaho-Oregon border, and I had Literally gone up the middle a bunch of, of nowhere. Oh. This place that we ended up breaking down was the middle of nowhere. Not a single tree in sight. No shade. degrees, no shade. It was, <sighs> it was barren desert. It was pretty bad. And our tow was an hour away, 45 minutes away. It was a good hour, yeah. And then we had an hour and a half drive with him to the place we were heading so that we can get the car checked and fixed. Yeah. And we ended up spending an extra day and a half hanging out with my aunt in Boise, Idaho, because, well, we needed someone to pick us up. And, well, I mean, we got to go see Wonder Woman in theaters, so that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we got to take advantage of a little relaxing after stress. <laughs> yeah. Stressful return. So. And then this is where 
we had the opportunity to spend a little time with Nick Page or Nick Cave. (laughs) (laughs) So if you guys ever rented a vehicle or even own a vehicle that has the podcast cover art showing up, on yeah, on the display, screen. yeah, on the LCDs, on his display, hooked up to the radio. He plugged in his, was it, you just plugged in I your- I plugged in um, my phone. IPhone, your iPhone. And pulled up a Nick's, Nick's page uh, podcast, and all of a sudden the cover art for some other dude that looked like Burt Wonderstone. <laughs> yeah, Burt Wonderstone. And we're like, what? It's like, who is this magician on yeah. here? Like, what's going <laughs> this on? This guy with a long hair and a mustache. <laughs> like, we know Nick Page has some uh, facial hair, but it doesn't look like that. Like, why are they showing this picture? So we tried our podcast, nothing. Tried Thomas Heaton's podcast, nothing. Then we played a thing for Nick Page again. Actually, no, it wasn't a podcast. It was a YouTube channel thing. Oh, it was a YouTube so channel So when we art? played the was... YouTube channel video, it played... A picture for Nick Page, but nothing for us, nothing for Thomas Heaton. And that would be something that you could obviously pull from Google yeah. and from YouTube, but it didn't pull anything. Just for some reason, this car, this the connection that it had, said, hey, you know what? This is Nick blah, blah, blah. Not Page, but Nick, Nick Cave. Cave. <laughs> and <laughs> so they pulled up a picture of what is Nick pa- Nick Cave, some musician that we know nothing about. Maybe you guys like know him the 70s or 80s or something? Yeah, yeah, he was a rocker with that pedophile stash and And what's funny is Aaron hair. spent like the next hour trying to figure out who this guy was before <laughs> yeah. we realized it was Nick Cave. I and, had to uh, find out what the connection was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. no one else got a picture but Nick Page. So was there something but Nick Page? And finally found a Nick with a four-letter last name. <laughs> it was really The really Nick funny. and the A and the E were consistent. That's the only thing. That's the only reason I can imagine. So Nick Page, man, you've got a YouTube channel glitch in some cars at least. They're going to pull up an awesome mustachioed picture of Nick Cave. And we have the picture on our Facebook page and I think I tweeted it as well. Yeah, we did. We shared that and I don't know how many people actually got that, but this is the story behind it now if you're wondering. So. <laughs> yeah, hanging out with Nick Cave on the way home. That was pretty funny. <laughs> so that Salt Flats area, I was so in love with it and enamored with it. I had a chance to go back, and I went back for a Milky Way shot, and as you're walking around in that big flat area, you start thinking, I'm going to keep walking this way and try and get away from all the light pollution of cars. And after a little while, I realized, what am I talking about? This place is famous worldwide for being flat, right. crazy flat. There was no amount of distance I could walk that would make it any different than it is right here, right now. I'm going to see all of those cars in the parking lot there just as easy, and I'm going to see all Mm -hmm. of the freeway cars. Nothing's going to kind of dip down just enough to give me this I'm isolated in this area look. Right. And block the light. So I'm setting up this shot and deciding, okay, find a foreground object, some some lines. I mean, there is nothing in the salt flats. There's areas that have little bushes, and Brendan and I have gone back there and tried the bushes. But they're not that. Mm, yeah, mm. they're okay. We'll talk about those in specific here with the Sigma experience that we had that's coming up next. And so I'm doing this shot trying to find something to make as a foreground element. And I start wandering around after I start a time lapse on the sunset. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe this, maybe that. And then I see this thing I almost step on. And it's this kind of crust that's lifted up. Looks kind of like a snake on the ground. And my little little boy in my brain goes, smash it crush that salt it's awesome (laughs) and i just about to do my leaf smash that i do with the leaves that are in the fall and thought wait 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 no what are you what are you thinking this could be a good 
foreground element. So I grab my camera and I get around, I'm looking at it, and I notice that it's a long snake with a little S-curve that kind of points and vanishes in the distance. And it's pointing right out in this area that is the Milky Way area. I pull out photo pills, I check it, and I'm like, you know what? When it goes almost fully vertical at a 1.45 a.m., this is going to line up perfectly. So I was very excited for that. I get my camera out and I get that while the moon's still up and blue hour shot. Love the contrasting light. Mm -hmm. Here's what I did right. Awesome foreground element. Really interesting. Here's the shot. And I caught a shot that I stacked and focus stacked and it looked really good at this time. What I did wrong, my failure. As the light changed from sunset to blue hour to moonlight... The moonlight gave this really far better contrasting light on my shape. It, mm -hmm. it just it was more clarity between lights and darks. Yeah, because I mean, you're dealing with the light source. Right? Well, I so. had that light source of the sun on that same side. Oh, true, true. And yet it was more of like a diffuse light source on mm. it where it made this sort of a grayish tan and a lot of texture in it. But when it was just the moon later on, it was very, very solid transition like a very solid line between light and shadow and the shape hmm. itself takes a lot better look but i didn't focus stack during that time oh i, I see. didn't recognize it in person like i should have even though despite pulling my ipad out my big ipad out and looking at this shot in a big screen i, I didn't figure it out because why i decided i'd do a time lapse so oh, okay. don't let time lapses screw with your opportunity there's the, the lesson from this is is once you start that time lapse you think don't mess it up it's gonna look awesome after you know 30 40 seconds of this time lapse will be a lot cooler than just five seconds and if you twiddle mm. with it make changes you won't and so don't let a time lapse commitment change your opportunity because if I had not done the time lapse I could have looked on my iPad again and seen how things went until someone listens to that guy's awesome rant on Petapixel about having that D850 maybe even come with the opportunity of interrupting a time lapse or seeing the preview as the time lapse is happening until they have that capability where you can see your preview as the time lapse is going It'll be something that I have to just stop a time lapse and check and see the back of my screen. Typically, if your time lapse has enough gap, you can see a preview image for a moment and then check that out, but it won't show up on my iPad. And I just really wish I had more time to look at it. I would have noticed it and probably would have done a focus stack during the moonlight time oh. to get that as an option for a foreground. That's only part of the thing I did wrong. The thing I ended up doing wrong in the end was... I was in so much love with that snake. And I thought this in the middle of my time lapse. I'm like, I wonder if I, I messed this up. Because I took my shot in blue hour. I took my shot with the moon. And I took my shot at sunset. And so all of my really great quality sharp images of the foreground without having to light paint have already happened, come and gone. At this point when I started having this thought, it was too late. And what's happened is... I kept too much of the snake in my foreground. If I had just cut off the last uh, last fifth, uh, last tenth of my image, it still would have been that really cool snake-like thing. It would have been a really cool feature to line up there, and I would have had more Milky Way. I ended up having two-thirds of my image foreground and one-third Milky Way, and that's terrible. Not for a Milky Way shot. Unless that foreground is really, really, really cool, 
don't do that. It was mostly more of the same, and so cutting off that last 10% would have been no real loss at all. So I wish I would have tipped my camera up a little higher. The only thing that I could say mm. is that my wide-angle lens going up higher would have shrunk the, the look of the snake. Having it be really broad in the front bottom half of the camera and then go long and disappear and have a vanishing point, that is a good look. Maybe, just maybe, taking off that 10% would have distorted it differently and not given me as strong of a shape as it did at that angle because of the wide-angle lens distortion. So potentially it wouldn't have been as great. But in my mind afterwards, I'm thinking, okay, that's a really great foreground object. Now my Milky Way's been taken. Even if I can't fix my foreground shot, what I should have done is quickly take a vertical panorama of the Milky Way. Because oh. I already had my foreground below, I could have easily added more sky and stitched it perfectly with no problem at all. But I only kept it one single image, one single frame, and so I'm only okay with it. I'm not totally excited sharing this portfolio piece with everybody. I haven't finished processing mm. yet. Brian Miller out there has said he's excited to see it. He was following along with me when I post live and talk about it, and he said he's excited to see it that night. I haven't followed through showing him that and I didn't have any time. And then I've tried finishing processing it since and I haven't been able to do the time lapse yet. So man, Brian, sorry, I got to get it out there to you. I hope you're listening to this. I've seen a couple of the images and um, that, that, that salt snake shape is really cool. And uh, I also can't wait for the final result, but hopefully um, you can pull something cool out of it and not be so disappointed with it. I'm hoping that what happens is my own perfectionist judgmentalism that I look at and go, oh, I could have done more. But then everyone right. else who sees it is like, wow, that's really awesome. Right. Yeah, you never know. You see that Erin Bobnick shot where she has the really cool foreground stretching high and then the sunset sky is only like one third of her image. Mm -hmm. Or the really cool Nick Page where he follows that kind of style and has a really cool textured ground in front of him, foreground yeah, element, yeah. and then one third of the sunset. And so, you know, mm. just maybe... This could be my Aaron Bobnick Milky Way shot, <laughs> and it might turn out great. I was thinking it the whole time. I'm like, this is so Aaron Bobnick right here. <laughs> but I just want more Milky Way because it's not Aaron King with more milk without more Milky Way. Right, right. Well, speaking of getting, getting lots of Milky Way is oh, the, yeah. uh, the, the opportunity that I had to rent from Lens Pro to Go was the 14-millimeter Canon 2.8 and the Sigma 14-millimeter 1.8. One-point glorious eight. Oh, man. I mean, that thing, if you saw the post I put on Instagram and Facebook, um, the size difference of these two lenses, I mean, the Sigma is nearly twice as big and and almost twice as much weight. It's a beast. And the front element is just as big as our 15 to 30s, our Tamrons. But, man, that thing, 1.8, 14 millimeter. I mean, it's wide. The distortion isn't that bad for being so wide i was really impressed and that thing just soaked in the light it was amazing oh yeah so we took that out to the salt flats as well we also took it out to the trestle i've got some um some cool pictures i'm going to post uh from both those locations and we got video of the entire thing i mean as much as you can in the dark but you see us a lot talking about it and i think yeah, it gives you a yeah. good, good idea of how how we felt on the spot about it yeah i mean i i right out the back of the camera I could see, um, I, I first, I think I first started with the Sigma cause I was just so dang excited to try it out. You did. I had the Canon first. Yeah. So I popped that thing on and I started taking pictures and I started changing the F stop and doing, and I did F wide open from 1.8 all the way to F4 and did it and did a series. So I'll, I'll post that as a single image showing you, 
you know the the shades and the and the detail and the Christmas crispness the Christmas <laughs> the Christmasness it was like a Christmas it present. was a Christmas glorious <laughs> miracle it's a festivist miracle usually <laughs> I go for anyways time um, to wrestle <laughs> time to wrestle around the aluminum pole um, <laughs> so yeah it was it was it was cool to see um, you know to dial it in to f2 to f2.2.8 f2.5 2.8 um, and f you know 3.5 and f4 and all that stuff so um I got all those different things dialed in. You can see the clarity and man, even at F like four is amazing how much light this thing was letting in. It was crazy and the crazy amount of detail and, and sharpness and, um, and then popping the, the, the Canon lens on the 2.8 and just saying, man, yeah, this Canon lens is just, it's just obviously darker. It's so noticeable. I mean, you know, by the numbers, it's good. Yeah. Obviously it's not got as much light in, but I mean, the Canon did have a cool look to its own, and if you have that lens, use it by all means because it's a great little lens, it especially for backpacking. Definite terrible corner aberration. Yes, but the it's a great lens. Yeah, the, the angel wings and the chromatic comb on this on the corners were pretty bad on the Canon because you know they weren't really, really factoring that in. You know when they when they designed and built yeah, that it's lens, true. it's an I older shouldn't even lens. Say it's a great lens, but it's it's a good one. It's a good lens. Yeah, it's okay. But the Sigma by far blows it out of the water. I mean, the Sigma right. was just amazing. It was so fun to use, and we're thinking, you know could we justify buying this? I'm like, heck yeah. Like, yeah. The After Sigma one? It, yeah. Even with the Tamron 15 millimeter, your judgment is that you would own a 14 millimeter Sigma? Because I mean- I kind of think, yes. I kind of think that if I had the Sigma, I might not use my Tamron as much. <laughs> Honestly. You're absolutely right. Even though the coma is worse than the 14 millimeter Sigma, the clarity in the middle of your image where it really matters, the, the mother of all awesomeness well, that is remember, the galactic I don't remember the core, coma being that bad in the Sigma. It is. It's worse than the Tamron. I compared oh, my corners. Okay. It's okay. much worse. However, okay. it's not ugly 17 millimeter 35. The 17 to 30 that you have for the Canon is not that, that bad. Yeah. And it's not Canon 14 millimeter bad but right. it's much worse than the Rokinon and it's far worse than the, than the Tamron True. and so yes you get a better corner in the Tamron but the overall clarity, image quality and clarity was fantastic in though. the center having the light bucket that it is as a 1.8 gives you such a different quality image of the core and that is brilliant so if you do a panorama the coma doesn't matter at all anymore yeah, you can push your sensor um, a lot lower and get a nice, cleaner image because you don't have to crank your ISO up because mm -hmm. it's just lighting in so much light. Or you can really stop the stars by turning your, you know, leave your ISO up a little bit and then turn your shutter speed to a, a, an even faster shutter speed because it's letting so much light in that you can get a nice, crisp image and really stop those stars and get some really fine-pointed stars. I mean, the lens just gives you so much freedom to yeah. explore and, and experiment and really get a crisp, clean shot. I mean, it's just incredible. I was proud of my Milky Way shots at the 14-millimeter Sigma from 1.8 all the way to 2.8. Yeah. And so with my Tamron only being able to go to 2.8, if I'm thinking about doing a panorama, I'm pulling out the 14-millimeter and doing it with that. Oh, yeah. If I'm doing a single image and I just want to get, you know, really crisp all the way to the edge and make sure all my sharpness is perfect, you know what? I could see myself using the Tamron because that one millimeter difference is not going to hurt most 
99% of yeah. my compositions. Oh, yeah. yeah. One millimeter is neg very negligible. But if I have an opportunity for that glorious galactic core to look brilliant, the one that's going to come out with the texture that's right, the texture that's not blown out, it's the 1.8 14mm Sigma. Oh, yeah. The same way that yeah. your 50mm 1.2 looked amazing on the core, the detail of it, and the dust mm -hmm. lanes, compared to all of our shots using the Tamron, where it's just, if you look at them side by side, one looks compressed and the other one looks solid, even though neither of them are compressed. Right. That's the kind of clarity difference you get in the core in the high contrast areas that you get a lot better performance out of a light bucket like an aperture that's 1.2 or 1.8 than you right. do at a 2.8. Well, and the difference between the, I mean, you're look, you're talking about 50 millimeters versus 14. And when you're that wide, you really don't seem to get that kind of detail with a lens that wide and with the Sigma, you really do. I mean, they did a great job designing the glass to really focus on those details. So when you're dialed in and you're, and you're focused in the right place. And, and what I also noticed is that the infinity focus, you know, when you put that line right in the middle of the bow of the infinity, it was pretty much set. I mean, they did a great job and maybe I had a really good copy of the lens. Maybe not, obviously not every lens is going to be exactly the same. At least for their infinity range. Yeah. 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 For the infinity range, it's going to be off probably just a hair on every single lens can be a little bit different. But the one that I had, I pretty much did it right to the middle of the bow and tested it and man, it was sharp. And especially when you dial it down a little bit, maybe 2.5, woo, it was singing. It was great. <laughs> now, I'm more of a focusing Nazi than any than you are, I guess, but I was checking with a magnifying glass, and I definitely still had to adjust it quite a bit to get to my personal preference of focus. Mm -hmm. But anybody who sees my image before that would not say, hey, you're out of focus. They would not know it. Wow. I would have to point it out to them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, one other thing we did that night was we experimented with the Botanov mask that I printed yeah. in my 3D printer. And um, it was designed for like a 135 millimeter type lens. And so when we tried it on these wide angles, it just wasn't happening. So it was kind of a fail there. Yeah, it really um, was. It was big enough. I did print it big enough to fit on our Tamrons, and it was big enough to fit over the the Sigma as well. But it just didn't really do anything. It just looked like we were shooting through window blinds or something. Yeah, and we blurred out the window blinds and couldn't really notice that they were there anymore and so it didn't cause any light diffraction yeah so i'm not sure if we needed like i don't know if we needed bigger holes or smaller holes lines it's hard to get smaller lines it was pretty fine the one that i that i produced so i think it might like you said before you brendan mentioned this when we were talking about it before i think it might be a situation where a 3d printed botanov mask will not work on a wide angle lens it just might not be possible yeah only the etched glass or plastic that leaves you're mm -hmm. not going through a hole a gap you're, you're going that through fine that line yeah that etching that causes the diffraction right so it'll be cool to get uh ian norman's product and and try that out and uh with the wide angles i think it's pretty much necessary for that and then maybe that's why yeah. he made that product drew is an awesome friend of ours who has these pieces of equipment from ian norman the pure light the pure from night lonely filter yeah. from lonely spec where you've also got the sharp star too and we're going to be putting that into more practice as we go out with drew some more and so this year did not turn out to be a time where i could buy it and you know that's okay this milky way season's almost up while we're celebrating our year mark yeah, yeah. we're also sadly coming to an end with the milky way season with only two months left for all our area in the northern hemisphere yeah so we might have to start planning some trips down so. and everyone get out as much as you possibly can and enjoy it while you can seriously yeah 
So I, I don't know how else to say I love you guys and make you believe me, but one year, incredibly humbling to have such an awesome, interested, engaged group to hang out with Seriously. and tell our adventures. I mean, Brendan and I are sitting here on a weekday after having a full day of work and family stuff, having gone up for the sunset, and we're staring out over the valley. It is now 11.50, yeah. and my wife has texted me three or four times and told me how much okay love you good night your food was warm but now it's cold I mean just enjoy your dinner <laughs> when you get here and so it's we love that we can do this craziness and have an audience that's willing to hear about it yeah thanks guys thanks for your support thanks for your love and kind words and positive support a million times yes so have a good week and if you haven't subscribed to YouTube and you want to follow there just subscribe and then it'll notify you as long as you hit that bell and says hey I want to be notified about this place when these guys this channel does anything notify me hit that bell yeah, so the subscribe button and the bell so now you make the do two clicks to really get right it. exactly so thanks guys see you then all right see you guys